and welcome. I want to take a moment and celebrate our first-time guests and those who are jumping in to take the message online. Can we celebrate both of those? Man, we're so grateful that you're here. And uh, for those of you online, we miss you. We love you. We're grateful that you're following along as we continue in God's Word. And uh, aren't you just grateful for the goodness of God in your life? Man, come on. I want to uh, I always begin with a joke. But I thought today I'd begin in prayer, and then a joke, and then the message, all right? Would you pray with me? Come on, let's just invite the Lord to make us alert and focused. God, we thank you, God, for this moment to dive into your holy scriptures. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Bible. God, we thank you for the text, the scriptures, Lord. But we know that the text alone isn't what saves us. Lord, we know that it leads us to Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for being present. And we welcome you into our lives, into this moment. We thank you for giving us supernatural focus, God, to grow and to delight in your word and who you've called us to become. If you're in agreement, please say amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, we're ready. I'm ready. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, Luke 23, Luke 23, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, we are in a series looking at the last words. You may call them the famous last words of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this series will lead us all the way into Easter, and turn to your neighbor say and say, Easter is soon. Easter is soon. Easter is soon. You may be used to Easter coming about mid-April. I'm telling you, it is in March, everybody. It just snuck in. Last day, the last Sunday of March, it's coming up. And so leading up to Easter, we are taking a moment to look at significant words of Jesus. But the significant seven, if I can put it that way, there are seven recorded statements. Some are prayers. Some are um, just statements, others are groans, others are part of the humanity of Jesus, and we'll dive into those in the weeks to come. But as you've made your way to Luke 23, now you're ready for today's joke. A woman had just returned to her home from an evening of church services when she was startled by an intruder. She caught the man in the act of robbing her home of its valuables and yelled, Stop! Acts 2.38. The burglar stopped in his tracks. The woman calmly called the police and explained what she had done. As the officer cuffed the man to take him in, he asked the burglar, Why did you just stand there? All the lady did was yell a scripture to you. Scripture, replied the burglar. She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. All right. Your grace is welcome. Thank you for your mercy. That is new every Sunday. All right. Some of you are going to quickly Google Acts 238. <laughs> I believe it's confessed, repented, be baptized. All right. All right, Luke, Luke 23. Uh, Luke is one of four 
um, stories for gospels. Um, the gospel story, the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus begins in Luke chapter 1, goes all the way through to the end of Luke. Um, and we are taking some time to revisit for some of you, some of you maybe seasoned believers, some of you who have um, spent much time in the scripture. For others of you, this will serve as a reminder to you. And for others, for some, this will serve as an announcement to you, some truths um, of Jesus, who uh, we believe to be the Savior of the world. And we believe that he loves you, that he sees you, and that he knows you by name. And I'm excited today to read some significant passages. The, the, the phrase, before we dive into Luke 23, 32, the phrase is, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But let's read along the story together. Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Out of seven, this is the second statement Jesus made. Last week we looked at his first words. Last week I shared about the significance of the 24 hours before Jesus would willingly lay down his life. And of all things to say after enduring all that Jesus endured, uh, it is staggering and shocking to see that his first words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Equally, <laughs> theologically complex or simple, is this statement to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross is certainly not alone. He is being crucified along with Jesus, but along with another 
thief. You see, the cross that Jesus would carry and be lifted up on was not originally intended for Jesus. If you follow the gospel story and the gospel accounts, you will identify rather quickly that it was meant for somebody else. The cross that Jesus bore was actually crafted and created for Barabbas. How many of you are familiar with the name Barabbas? Barabbas was the one who was initially going to be crucified along with the two thieves. This was common Roman practice. This was not unorthodox in their thinking. This was the way of Rome. If you and I had lived in Roman times, especially in the region of Galilee, what we know as Israel as well, here, Jerusalem, and the surrounding cities, we would not have been surprised to, upon entering a city, to see to the left and the right people punished for their wrongdoing. And how would Rome often punish them is through crucifixion. And so we are not too confused here to see two thieves. But it is quite interesting to see the two responses. It's almost like two sides of the same cross. Jesus in the middle, and on one side we see one thief who remains hardened towards the man in the middle. But on the other side of the cross we see a thief who rapidly, in the midst of hours, would go from rebuking the Christ. The Gospel of Matthew, it records that both thieves slandered the one in the middle. And this thief would have such a change of heart that he would look upon Christ as Savior and Lord. I've got a little bit of a framework for us to hopefully um, encourage and equip our time together. I want to share briefly about three lessons. Are there more than three lessons? Absolutely. It's why I believe you should have a personal relationship with the Lord. Amen. And you should get with the Holy Spirit and take what is preached on Sunday and sit and allow the Lord to maybe speak some different or more lessons to you. But for our time together, I've got three distinct lessons we can learn from the thief on the cross. And the first is a lesson in hope. Here's the simple thought. There is hope for everyone to turn to Jesus, irrespective of their present spiritual condition. I heard a faint one. Amen. Amen. No matter the current state, there is always hope. A lesson in hope. The thief on the cross, as I've shared, there were two of them. Now, this isn't a thief. In Roman times, a thief, um, uh, the Greek language, um, it actually applies some, some nuance to the word. In the original language, it, it's, uh, it, 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 it provides this nuance that it wasn't, listen, he wasn't stealing a croissant. He wasn't stealing a cup or a cistern of wine. He wasn't stealing somebody's pet. No, he was forcibly violent. That people were implicated with whatever thievery they participated in. In fact, the wording is quite similar to the wording used with Barabbas. 
And Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He considered, by, by some historical uh, points, he considered himself in some ways to be an insurrectionist. Somebody that would stir up trouble to overthrow the Roman Empire. And so Pilate wanted to send Barabbas to the cross. If you read the passages ahead, you can see he's quite reluctant to put Jesus on the cross. But reluctance only gets you so far when you do it. And Barabbas was known as one who was insurrectionist. He had been known to kill on behalf of Israel. In his mind, doing a good thing. And he was pardoned. And Jesus, an innocent man, was crucified. And this thief did far more than just steal a loaf of bread. But I want you to think about the magnitude of that. Of that, a thief, by all accounts, some of the people... The worst of the worst in that society. Hung there, crucified, along with Jesus. What an inspiration. What hope it leaves, yes, for you and me, but for the people we encounter all throughout our community. I can tell you as a pastor that when people have faith, as in they believe in the story of Scripture, they believe in God, they, they understand Jesus, they love Jesus, Jesus, to some degree, they hesitate. And where they hesitate is hope. They don't believe God could truly forgive them. A thief on the cross is a lesson in hope. A lesson in hope. I think about, is there someone you wish to be saved? Someone you love more than life itself? Maybe you've poured out your heart to this individual. Come on, you've done everything. You've texted them the sermon of the week. You've, you know, given them booklets upon booklets. You've prayed for them at night. You've done your best to be a witness honoring God. And, and you know, you make mistakes, but, but you're doing your best to be a light and shine in the darkness. And yet you maybe find yourself a little exhausted, a little redundant, like they are just not picking up the clues. You're like, dude, it got so bad. I started wearing Christian t-shirts. I was just trying to get the message. And they're like, you look like a fool. I mean, they stepped into some territory that got a little personal. And here you are a little exhausted by the fact that you just think, hey, maybe God is done with them. Maybe God's forgot about them. Maybe there's not a chance he wants to do. Can I encourage you to let hope arise? And let the thief on the cross stand as testament or stand as an example to you that it's not too late. It's not too late for them. If a thief on the cross with hours of life remaining can hear the words, today you'll be with me in paradise. Can I tell you, not only is there hope for us, but there's hope for our loved ones. There's hope for those in the community. I love the tenderness of Jesus, the heart of our Lord. Like, he's he's being mocked. He's enduring the pain, the physical trauma of the cross. And at one point, both are lodging their complaints. And then they get a little manipulative on, like, hey, if you say you are who you are, why don't you save yourself and, and, and us? And so the mockery ensues, and they're just throwing the insults. But a thief 
I can't explain why. I can't explain how. But somehow one of the thieves knew that they were in the presence of God. That somewhere from when they landed on the cross to hours later, the Christ began to do a work in the midst of his heart. Gospel of Mark accounts that the Roman leader who was over-prioritizing this particular execution, that somehow at the end of Jesus' time on the cross, without Jesus giving him the Roman road, without Jesus quoting to him all of the scripture of the First Testament, what we call the Old Testament, Without Jesus, for all we know, even making eye contact, somehow that Roman official who oversaw the priority of this particular execution saw what was taking place, saw an innocent man and his response to those who put him on the cross. And somehow, a transformation began to take place in his own life, that this Roman Official would walk up to the cross and say, surely this man was the son of God. The same is happening for this thief on the cross. The same is happening for him and hope seeped in. Can I tell you, God could do a lot with a seed of hope. Maybe this whole purpose of this message is just to get us on our knees once again. For the loved ones we earnestly used to pray for. For the seasons of life before we were all distracted with life's responsibilities. When eternity mattered. And we fasted and prayed to see God do something great in people's lives. Can I tell you God could do a lot in your and my life with hope. The thief on the cross. He invites us I believe in in, in some ways to see Jesus for who he truly is. And let Hope, register again within. So a lesson in hope. A a second lesson here is a lesson in conversion, somebody. There's a lesson here in conversion. Conversion, you may be asking, well, what exactly does that mean? Conversion in its most basic form means to change. Think of water. What happens to water when it changes? It becomes steam. Water when it changes becomes ice. It becomes becomes notably different. I was reading, and I'm borrowing a few thoughts here, but conversion, I want you to see what would happen with this thief on the cross over the hours that would take place. Notice this. He was not embarrassed to acknowledge his faith in God. All of a sudden, his peer group, granted, only one other, (laughs) who was mocking and laying insults at Jesus, all of a sudden he was courageous for his faith. That had suddenly consumed him. He was not embarrassed to acknowledge his faith in God. He spoke of his reverence for God. He confessed that he was a sinner. He was not proud of his sinfulness. Evidently he repented. Verse 41, he recognized the sinlessness of Jesus. Since only God is sinless, he had caught a glimpse of Christ's deity. He spoke of Christ's kingdom, verse 42, indicating that he recognized him as king. He asked Christ to grant him spiritual blessings. 
a prerogative generally reserved for God. And though his death was imminent, he did not believe death was the end. His words imply a resurrection. They express a faith in life beyond his life. I love that. The conversion, a lesson in conversion. How are we converted? Well, it starts as a ministry in the heart. Starts as a ministry in the heart. Something changed in this man's heart. Some extraordinary supernatural experience with the living God transformed him from mocking, despising the one who would be the savior of the world to suddenly embracing the reality of who he was and what that meant for him. It's a lesson in conversion that all of us, you know, God has not invited us to simply behave. God has not invited us into what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. Some people's faith is not relationship. Some people's faith is religion. And it's all about the do's and the don'ts. It's all about be better in your own strength. Adjust, align, trying to transform. Can I tell you, we can convince people to make a decision. But God is the only one who can convert someone's heart. I think about years ago, you'll have to forgive me, I'm a changed man with the story I'm about to tell you. I was so desperate, I want to say this was summer of 2007, in North Atlanta at a youth summer camp. And I was a youth leader at the time. And I spent a lot of time on my project student. And I was like, come on, man, believe, confess, get saved. And um, you may not know this about me, but uh, uh, I, can, I can be consistent. <laughs> and um, I can be stubborn. I can manipulate. (laughs) That's another message another time. I need more therapy before that. All right. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sort of joking. Okay. Um, And I remember we were in between sessions. Man, you know you got a youth leader that loves you if he's taking you out of your free time to get you saved, somebody. And I remember, I remember like talking and like, man, just just give your heart to you. You want to give your heart to Jesus? Get saved right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. He's like, Yes, because if I do, I can get back out there for free time. And I was like, I don't care what happens. Let's do this. And we prayed. And, 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 and what was that relationship? That was me convincing. That was me convincing. So often we spend most of our evangelistic fuel convincing people instead of attempting to convert them. Let me tell you about blah, 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 blah. All significant and important. Don't mistake that. But I can convince. But I think something significant happens when we can sit down with somebody and say, hey, let me tell you about my best friend. 
It's not a set of beliefs. I've found the Holy Spirit to be the most kind, loving, generous person I've ever met. And let me tell you about the one he represents, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about this one. Yeah, you may have had some issues with church. Yeah, you may have been burned on some things. Yeah, life was hard. I, I understand all that. I'm not minimizing any of that, but let me tell you about Jesus. He was called a friend of sinners. Let me tell you about the one who transformed my life. And here's what's crazy. Then they start checking out your life. They start reading the paper trail of your life. How do you treat them? How do you treat others? How do you treat your boss? How do you speak of your boss? How do you speak of your fellow employees? How do you speak of your children? How do you speak of your spouse? How do you speak of your church? How do you speak of your small group? How do you speak of your family? Words are a witness. And so what happens is, as we're converted and we're continuing to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, our very life begins to lead people in the ways of freedom and wholeness and unto salvation. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm having to interject a little bit because it, it doesn't plainly say it. But I think there was something so extravagant about the mercy of God that, that this thief on the cross... He had to do a couple double takes because it doesn't tell you, it doesn't map out all the minutes and we can't interject the exact timeline, but somewhere between the beatings, somewhere between carrying the cross, falling under the pressure and Simon of Cyrene carrying that cross up under the skull, somewhere between the nail pierced hands and the blood and water that would spill from his side and the crown of thorns and somewhere in the middle of Jesus looking out and saying, You do not stand condemned. You are forgiven. That somewhere in the midst of that, the second statement Jesus would make would be, huh, so now you want in. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I got time to digress for two minutes. This is one of the most frustrating phrases for somebody in self-righteous recovery. I shared last week that I am the older brother in the prodigal, but it's good. God's had me on a lot of transformation. But I can be so judgy. I, listen, if Jesus is about the kingdom... I'm going to work for immigration services. Hey, put me in control of who gets in and who doesn't. And God's like, nope, not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> Paul, I saw what you did at that summer camp. Not a chance, buddy. Just come on back. Come on back. Let me do the work. Let me do the work. And I was thinking about it. I wrestled. Listen, I'll be transparent. I wrestled with this message. I got clarity today. Today. This morning. You can ask Alex in the back. Because I was going to spend an hour, thank God, I haven't. I was going to spend an hour in telling you why this, why this one messes me up than all the others. Who does that? That's ridiculous. Jesus, listen, let me help you out. You got to lay down some rules and regulations for this thing. You are way too reckless. 
I don't know what's going on in your mind, but man, you got to get, listen, let's get some 10 steps action going on. Let's get some like 14 years of small group study before and Jesus like, he shares on display the kingdom of God, which is something he would share time and time and time again in his parables, which leads me to my last thought in the last passage. The thief on the cross is a lesson in mercy. It's a lesson in mercy. And it's an invitation to a lesson we can all learn and practice. If the thief on the cross is one of my most difficult phrases, or challenging, I guess is the way to say it, then this parable is one of the most challenging parables for me, for me. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus shares on the kingdom of heaven, and he says it's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which just to let you know, you probably don't use denarius in your regular life. Me neither, by the way. It's a day's worth of wages. He agreed to pay them a day's worth and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, hey, why don't you go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, did the same thing. And here is where it gets annoying. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. Like, y'all know you have co-workers who roll this way. You've got blood, sweat, and tears from filling out that business project. It's taken you years. And new hire over here, just because he dresses all preppy and smells good, here, here's the boss celebrating him just along with all your blood, sweat, and tears. I know I need help. Let me continue now. Well, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. 
I know, right? I have worked for you every day since I was a young child. I have slaved, exhausted myself. I've done everything you said. I haven't missed a single beat. I haven't missed a single step. And yet, the moment the younger son comes running home, you have the audacity to run off the platform and hug him. And you give him a robe, you give him sandals, you give him the ring, and to add insult to injury, you go and slaughter the fatted calf? And you've never even given me a skinny goat. So how's your week going? If you don't know it yet, the kingdom of God is crazy, but it's crazy good. And I am in need as much as anyone else is in need. And no matter how seasoned we are in our faith, may we never lose sight of the lesson of mercy. Because as we leave this place, I promise you that I promise you, there are those who need the seed of mercy like never before. That you may be getting their brokenness on a daily basis. And it may be driving you crazy. But can I encourage you Let's do our best through the power of the Holy Spirit to react in a way that the seed of mercy goes forth in their lives. Sometimes that's our family. Sometimes that's our friends. Sometimes that's our frenemies in the workplace. And sometimes, by golly, it's just our enemies. But we have moments all this week to lavishly, ridiculously, generously share the hope of Jesus. Can I tell you, even when it confuses us, we can share the hope of Jesus. Like nobody walks up, but we could if they did. Say, hey, could God forgive that? Yep. Could God forgive that? Yep. Sometimes you need to take a little drink of water. Think for a minute. Yep. 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 Jesus' life would be modeled. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's an incredible life that God's called for us to live here and now. It's not about sliding in to eternity. Jesus would invite all. He'd say this. You who are weary, you who are tired, come unto me and I'll give you rest. What's he talking about there? He's talking about his way of living, his words and his ways to be applied now. And when we live in the now, the eternity here, the abundant life here, when we get away from all the striving, competing, envy, jealousy, 
idols and we surrender and submit to his way and his rule, can I tell you, you will find that burden is light. And that's what God is inviting us into, into living. We don't have to wait. Like, hey, thief on the cross did it. I'm just going to wait. Come on, you may never know if you wait like that. Want to give us a moment to close in prayer? Give us a moment to call upon the Lord. Thank you, God. <laughs> Once again, for the words of Jesus that give us life, that give us hope, they model the way for us to live. And Father, we thank you for the lesson on hope, God. We thank you for the lesson on conversion. Lord, we thank you for the lesson on mercy. Some of us were in need of reminding today. Some of us are in need of repenting today. There's no other way we can cut it, God. We've been stingy with your grace. We've been stingy, God. We've, been, we've had meager mindsets towards your grace. We've written people off, God. And we, we repent of that. Help us. Help us to see the extravagance of your grace. Not to take advantage of it, Lord, but to walk in the freedom and wholeness that's found through your rule and your reign. And so we repent, God. Others of us, God, are receiving the announcement that there's another way. And if you're receiving that announcement, I want to lead you in a short prayer. Change the entire direction of your life in this very moment. You could change everything right now. Everything. Everything by stepping into a relationship with God. The whole story, Jesus is on the cross for us, for all of humanity. That on the cross, all of the sin that each one of us have committed was placed upon him. And he willingly laid down his life on our behalf. If you need to receive his mercy, his forgiveness, call upon him. Lord, I need you. Forgive me of all my sin. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you my future. I want to be born again. I want my life's direction to change. I confess I've been chasing after the things of this world when I'm called to chase after you. Have your way in me, God. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen.